Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Brown Ambition, episode four. Hey, 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 it's Tiffany. And it's Mandy. Welcome back. I can't believe they're back. Well, are they? We don't really know. We're taping these all in advance, so we have no idea who's going to listen to these. They're back. I can feel you. I can feel you in the, in the future. We're cautiously optimistic that there will be people listening to this. But yeah, thank you. And let's start the show. Yes, let's get right into what is buzzworthy. What's buzzing? I don't know if this is like old news or not, but apparently Damon Wayne's mm-hmm. like this has been, came on some radio show and was saying the most offensive things trying to defend Bill Cosby. I got to read you guys these quotes that Damon yeah. said. And I was just telling Betty, ooh, he's kind of fine. Then I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm retracting that. <laughs> he's not that fine. <laughs> he's not fine because here's what he says about Cosby and these women. After 40 years, these women having the courage to come forward and finally speak up for themselves. And this is what Damon Wayne says. How big is Bill Cosby's penis that it gives you amnesia for 40 years? If you listen to them talk, they go, well, the first time, the first time, how many times did it happen? Just listen to what they're saying, and some of them are really unrapeable. You just look at them and go, you don't want that. Get out of here. Unquote. Wow. My blood is boiling. This is like, this is what happens when someone is so... Uh, I don't know. Like uh, maybe he was just trying to be funny. Yeah, because he's supposedly in quotes a comedian, uh-huh. and so maybe he was trying to be funny. Because I see that he there's some articles about him trying to defend himself, saying, "Oh, my words were twisted." I'm like, really? Those words are pretty clear. And what other context? Like he's saying you should have the full context, but I don't know if we need the full context yeah. for that quote. Sometimes silence is platinum. We've said that before. Mm-hmm. Silence can make you sound smart. Yeah. And you just got to know when to shut up. Exactly. <laughs> but I think that there's been so much. I mean, obviously, it's it's terrible what happened to these women. But did you see the New York Magazine feature where all of them were on the cover? Yes. And, they, and you know, they did individual features. And not all of them wanted to have their names in their photos. But the majority of them did. Yeah. And do you know how how rare it is for rape victims to come forward like that? Especially in that way? against someone like as huge as Bill Cosby. Mm-hmm. He's an icon. Right. He's a cultural icon. Like, you cannot deny that. Absolutely. And people have such deep emotional connections to him. And that's mm-hmm. why you don't want to believe the worst of people. But you can't deny evidence when it's staring you in the face. Especially when he says himself that he used drugs. In his own words. Literally, like, out of his own mouth. People yes. are like, oh, no. I'm like, no, no. He said, I have used drugs to have sex with women. I mean, I don't know that it gets any clearer than that. Yeah. If you're still defending Bill Cosby, then you are not paying attention, and you deserve no one's time yeah. nor your attention. So I apologize for just talking about Dame Wayne's, but... Is that how you say his name? Damon? (laughs) That's how irrelevant he is. I don't even know how to say his name. Damon Wayne Sr. Sorry. Mm.
Okay, next on the list of buzzworthy is another headline that I saw, which talks about something really interesting, is whether college lectures might be unfair to minorities and people from low-income backgrounds. Mm -hmm. I found this really fascinating because I guess it's something that I take for granted, the fact that I didn't go to the greatest schools. In fact, I went to three different high schools, and they weren't, you know, they were public schools in Georgia, and the public education system is, is you know, fine. Um, but I didn't realize how, what an advantage it was mm-hmm. that I went to a decent school and I had a lecture type of environment. Okay. Um, and this article kind of talks about research that's shown that people of color who come from maybe not the greatest schools okay. or people from low-income um, backgrounds who tend to grow up in uh, areas that have less funding for public education. Education mm-hmm. aren't used to necessarily having lecture. this structured lecture. Listen to this professor drone on and on and mm. write notes on a board and then get quizzed on it later. They're not used to that kind of atmosphere and they tend to perform less. They tend to perform not as well. Not as well as white, male, and typically more privileged students. Okay. They say that active learning courses, that's a new kind of style of teaching that structure class and out of class assignments to make sure that students are actually engaged with the material. So, for example, like instructors would pose questions about the week's reading and they would ask the teacher, ask the students to answer the questions online for a grade before they come to class. Okay. And that kind of like greases the wheels and get them thinking about it beforehand. I like that. Um, And those sorts of things that have like more of a loose structure and get people really talking beforehand can help people. And I think that's something that instructors should pay attention to. Especially if you have a diverse group of people. Because, you know, I used to be a teacher for like 10 years and we would call it like differentiated learning. Okay. And it's so strange how the older the student gets, the less people are really concerned with making sure that learning takes place in an appropriate way. Like when I taught preschool, that was like paramount. That like, are you addressing the auditory learner? Are you this is someone like a child who listens and hears? I literally had a child that when I spoke to him, when I was teaching him his letters, he had to turn away, basically turning off his other senses and just listen. Hmm. Are you addressing the visual learner? Like, you know, a vast majority of people really learn from seeing. But then there's also kinesthetic learners. I don't know if you've ever watched Akila and the Bee, where she's jumping rope yeah. and, and doing her ABC. That's a kinesthetic learner that they have to move as they're learning. And so, like, you know, making kids sit in a chair. And if you're a kinesthetic learner, you might need to clap as you sing your ABC. That's one of the reasons why we do that with children. Oh, okay. Because every child has kind of, like, you usually have one way that you lean toward. And there's, like, secondary and, like, third so it's crazy that the younger the child, the more that's important. Like as a college professor, they're like, no, we're teaching you this one way, take it or leave it. And especially when you talk about going into a career in the mm-hmm. working world, if you work for a company, I mean, you come into a company and you're one of like, I don't know, I'm one of 12,000 employees. Mm-hmm. So if I have a particular way of working, well, sorry, there's 12,000 people here. We can't, this is how it's going to be. And you have exactly. to kind of acclimate yourself. So, so that's it for Buzzworthy. Uh, buzzworthy. Yeah. That was have good, any, buzzworthy. Oh, thanks. <laughs> if you guys have any uh, buzzworthy links or headlines or topics you think we should talk about, email us at brownambitionpodcast at gmail.com. We're going to move on to brown break, brown break. What you going to do? <laughs> I don't know why they came over me. Do get tired of shit. Yeah. Brown break. Um, uh, all right. So a few of my friends are going to kill me for this one because a few of them are. I don't want you to die. <laughs> oh, they're not going to kill me like in real life. At least I don't think so. Um, I need a brown break from life coaches. 
Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to say, but there are so many life coaches. But not everyone should be coaching people on their lives. On their lives. It's such a wishy-washy, squishy title, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a life coach. I'll help you better your life. But yeah. how? And then what did you study in college? And how does how is anyone really even an expert at life? Well, I'll say this, that some of my friends are life coaches, and they're doing an excellent job. I can see, you know, the changes they've made in women's lives. But, for example, there's a young woman who reached out to me. She's all of 22, 23. Oh, okay. And so, apparently... She's lived enough life to coach others on life. Oh, so she's wise bond beyond yes. her years. Clearly, she's, she's an old soul. Yeah, she's been here before. So okay. she's life coaching now. Mm. And that's what I mean about needing a brown break from life coaching. Because also, too, what I've seen, which is really dangerous and unfair, I've seen um, some life coaches really take advantage of women. Because a lot of women who are going to a life coach, they're in a low time or they've suffered from some sort of, like, violence or just depression and they're looking for help and I've seen them be upsold for thousands of dollars for coaching sessions from people who are really just looking to make money not looking to make change how much do some of these coaches like I've seen like honestly like one on one you could pay upwards of ten thousand dollars to to speak like for a Tony Robbins kind of thing yeah yes for that kind of thing but then like on the lower end five hundred a thousand fifteen hundred I've seen coaches who are not particularly particularly famous, sell $2,500 packages in the back of the room. And so, like I said, though, not all are bad. So this is if you are considering any sort of coach, financial coach, life coach, business coach, whatever, to me, if your coach that you're considering does not give away a significant amount of value for free online somewhere or in person or whatever, then I would reconsider. What do you mean by value? Yeah. So if you go to their blog and they don't have some really great meaty blogs that really help to move you forward or they don't have some sort of social media group or a community that you can join and kind of see them in action or they don't have some like free workshops that you can attend, you know, that every time that you try to get any additional information, you're always hit with that's going to cost, you know, stop sign. Well, that costs and that costs. And well, I need to see you know, if you're really doing what you say you're going to do. And also, too, I would look to see because if you, you'll be able to see based upon, like, what they put out there, what are people saying, thank you so much because you've helped me do this. You know, are you seeing those kind of comments underneath? If not, then I would reconsider because someone who is not willing to give without you giving them money up front, I would be very cautious of. Because then what are they really here for? Are they just here just to make money? And we're all, you know, here to, of course, make a living. But to me, when you're in the business of coaching someone's life, there has to be a higher calling than just making money. So I need a brown break from all the life coaches. All of, like, the, the snake oil yeah, the snake, Yeah, the snake yeah. oil life. Not all of them. I'm sorry. Some of you, like I said, are great. Like there a, are. A friend of mine, Lucinda Cross, she's an amazing life coach. I mean, I've seen women, like, literally change their lives and tell me, like, I, I am not the same person. But it's all about referrals. Mm-hmm. I would ask, yeah, definitely ask around to be sure that you're not, you know, spending money on, like, a fake. Yeah. Excellent. So, and definitely not a 23-year-old. I mean, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it depends on what they're going to teach you. Don't expect to get, like, I don't know, marriage and retirement. At, well, shit. I was writing about retirement <laughs> when I was 23. <laughs> no. But I speak to experts. I'm not saying that I'm a retirement expert. I'm a journalist. My job is to talk to smarter people than I am. Um, but, yeah, I think that's a good point. So 
So my brown break mm-hmm. this week is something that I I don't really make a point to go out of my way to visit this particular website. However, I am a user of Facebook mm-hmm. and my some of my ratcheter some of my ratcheter family members love posting uh, links from World Star Hip Hop. <laughs> so I am like confronted daily with these videos of like black on black, brown on brown, violence, mm-hmm. people getting in fights at McDonald's, yeah. on the train. Um, I was just looking at their website. One of the headlines right now is some woman who had sex with a passed out homeless man or what? something like that. They're just like spreading the, uh, they're just proliferating the idea that minorities are like just a bunch of wild animals mm-hmm. out there acting in these like animalistic ways. And I'm not saying that, you know, obviously violence, I feel like violence should be seen as a lesson and there should be consequences, but mm-hmm. the way that they make money off of these videos yeah. and they like perpetuate these stereotypes and they're celebrating these instances of violence, it just is turn off to me and I'm sick of seeing these and people are like using I mean have you ever seen people like they'll something will be going down and they'll say world star like Mm -hmm. people are looking now for they don't even help people anymore they'll they'll pull out their camera phone or they'll help somebody and they're like oh this is a world star and you're just like wow this is crazy how about you help that baby that's being hurt instead of taping you know someone beating up a child that might be helpful. So yeah, world star, you on break. You're on a brown break. You and life coaches with no lessons to teach. I'm gonna have to unfollow a lot of my family members on Facebook. Oh, I'm good for to really take a brown break. What? I'm good for unfriending, unfollowing. My friend has. I a... love the unfollow button. They don't know that you unfollow them, <laughs> mm-hmm. but you are in a nice, nice little bubble of just ignorance of whatever they're posting. One of my friends, what he does, which I'm like, oh, I totally stole his. Uh, thanks, Cabral, for this. I totally stole his, his, uh, the way he uses Facebook. So. If Facebook says, hey, it's Mandy's birthday, and I'm like, when did I friend Mandy? He uses your birthday and the um, notification of birthdays to unfriend people that he no longer is interested in being friends. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, so you're like, oh, so happy birthday. We're no longer friends. (laughs) (laughs) And so I do that sometimes because sometimes I have almost 5,000 friends on Facebook, and I'm like, I don't add people. I don't add people anymore. And, you know, because of my job, you know, you probably get tons of random Mm -hmm. friends requests um, from people that you don't know. And I just stopped adding people. I'm like, you can follow my public page, but I don't want you to see my baby photos and, like, my (laughs) to post my dad, like, my embarrassing parents post of me on my wall. I don't know. That's too much information for you, stranger. (laughs) So, anyway, World Star Hip Hop, Brown Break. Yes. And from the people who post World Star Hip Hop links. Alrighty, it's time for the tip of the week. Mm-hmm. This is one that I feel like I'm an I don't feel like I'm an expert about many things, but I am an expert about joint finances. <laughs> I've been well an expert of a, a few years now. I think that cohabitating has become so much more common, yeah. especially with young couples. I mean, we're both cohabitating. Yeah, which is so weird because yeah. if you would have asked me like in my early twenties, I'd be like, I'm not shacking up, living in sin, right? <laughs> <laughs> Some of you guys are side eyeing us, like, ooh. I was like, only God could judge me now, okay? (laughs) (laughs) But it's complicated because you're in a weird, you're like in a weird in-between. You're living together, so you're kind of married, but you're not married, Mm -hmm. so you can't be like all up in their finances, but you need to be, but you don't know how, Mm -hmm. and it's like so complicated. (laughs) So I have some tips for couples who want to figure out a way to, after you move in together um, or you're getting really serious, to start 
easing into commingling your finances. So I'm going to start. There's four tips here. The first one I'm going to give is the idea of um, having a separate and joint bank accounts. It's called, you can call it a yours, mine, and ours system. I like it. Um, so yeah, consider keeping like your own separate bank accounts. I actually do this with my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. We both have our separate credit and our separate um, checking accounts, but we have one savings account that we share. Me too. Do you? Mm-hmm. Not smart. <laughs> and we pay rent out of that account. So we both automatically set up direct deposits for the amount that we owe for rent. So when both of us get paid, that money goes into the joint savings, and then I'm in charge of paying the rent. It's so easy. There's no awkward, hey, can you give me your check for mm. the You're about, you know, I'm going to go down. Like, you're kind of late. It just takes out all that awkward, you know, in between. You can even have a joint check, a joint checking account for joint expenses like bills mm-hmm. or groceries. Just something simple. I would say open up. I use Capital One Three Hundred and Sixty, which is an online only bank. Mm-hmm. If you're afraid of online only banks, don't be. They're also they're just they have just as many protections as tra- traditional banks, mm-hmm. and they charge way fewer fees, and they actually have higher interest rates. Yeah, because there's no overhead with like the whole. Exactly. Yeah. They save so much money. So that's my first tip. I like that one. Thank you. Secondly, I would say speak openly about your financial goals. You don't have to have this one, like, come to Jesus, sit down, and just (laughs) spill out your heart and soul and all my financial drama and all my financial baggage, Mm -hmm. and here's all my goals, and when are we getting married, and how much is it going to (laughs) cost? Don't do that all at one time. But I would say if you haven't moved in yet and you're thinking about it, Mm -hmm. do what I did. We had had a nice dinner. We had a bottle of wine, (laughs) and we had a kind of chat about what our budget would be for our our apartment, how we might handle the bills. Um, he and I earn different incomes. Okay. I earn a little bit, I earn, you know, a substantial amount more than him, enough to make it a difference in terms of how much we pay in rent. Okay. Like if we were to split it down the middle, it wouldn't be fair. Okay. So we agreed early on we were going to do things based on our income, like okay. just an even income split as far as like a ratio for our bills and such. I like such. that. So ratio. Yeah. So, you know, I pay like. I would say two thirds, two thirds of the rent. I'm bad at math. Anyway, it's it's. <laughs> I pay about four hundred dollars more a month in rent, and then you know I pick up the bigger bill. Our bill, our bigger bill is cable. I'll get that, and then he picks up the electricity bill. Okay, but it's still um, like thirty percent of your like that kind of. We thing? don't. We didn't like get obsessive about getting it down to the T. Okay, and we've adjusted over time. We've had other conversations. So when we first moved in together, I was going to pay like two hundred dollars more, and then after a few months, I was like, hey, you know, boyfriend. How's it working out? Do you feel like you're able to make your, you know, paying your bills? He also has some debt he's trying to pay off. And Mm -hmm. he's like, you know, I am kind of stressed. I'm feeling like I can't really manage. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to pick up more of the rent. Okay. And we'll get to a place where we can, you know, to where you feel comfortable. Okay. Like, so I'm sort of helping him toward his goals. Um, So having that conversation beforehand. Okay. So what if you move in together and you haven't had the conversation Mm -hmm. and you're starting to realize that you don't really have a, a clear goals or a clear strategy for managing? Managing your finances, then just have a conversation. Still mm-hmm. have that dinner away from the apartment, I would recommend, and definitely not in bed before you go to sleep. Yeah. Don't do it. I made that mistake before. <laughs> I made the mistake of like, we're both like getting to sleep, and I'm like, hey, did you pay that credit card bill? And then a fight ensues, like, why are y'all in my business? Like, don't. <laughs> and do then it you're in sleeping the back to back. Yeah, exactly. Um, So you can come up like, oh, we have this one rule that we do, which is if you're going to spend over a certain amount of money, Mm. we tell each other. Okay. And our number is like $200. Okay. Because we're saving it. We have, you know, we're saving up for some joint, some future stuff. Okay. Um, And so it's important. You know, I I think it's a sign of trust and it's a sign of, um, it's not that I'm trying to control his finances. You never Mm want to control. Mm -hmm. That's a form of abuse. You don't want to be controlling of your partner. (laughs) Your partner, yeah. But you do need to have an open line of communication. And $200 for us is a significant amount. 
amount and that, you know, if you're spending that, then that that plays into how much we can save this month mm-hmm. for a vacation, something that we're both trying to work towards. So how I try to work that, because I tried that, and Superman was like, yeah, no. Oh, so, the, okay. <laughs> and honestly, it's actually better because I, at first, I thought like, oh, it's a good idea, but I, I buy bigger ticket items than he does because I travel a lot. Oh, okay. So I was like, actually, you know what? Maybe we won't do that. Um, so, but instead, what's worked is that we have, we've automated savings. So mm-hmm. he, I've had him automate savings. So when his check comes, he has automated savings going to his daughter's college fund. We have an automated savings going to our uh, savings account. The bills he's has automatically taken out. So really, what's left is kind of like what he can play with. So he could do whatever he kind of wants. Direct deposit is the best. You know, that helped and, my that helped my boyfriend too. Is so getting him to automate all exactly. Of his bills. So he's like, it's weird now because he's like, I hardly have any money left when I, you know. But he like because he has like three different things that are he's saving for. He has his own personal savings account, us, his daughter, and then he has his play money that's kind of left over. But his own personal savings, he can kind of if he wants to dip into it, that's his choice. But I've learned like with your partner to kind of lean in some places and like lean back on others. So I'm like, you know what, bills paid, savings saved. He has a retirement. Account. Account. So if he wants to kind of splurge within the confines of what's left over, I don't want to tell him no. Right. You know, so. But you need to feel safe. You have to feel in like a safe enough mm-hmm. space to where like if you know that your partner has like a ton of credit card debt yeah. and a ton of student loan debt and then you see him or her Splurging. going to the mall and buying yeah. like a three-piece suit. I'm not naming any names. Yeah. Um, <laughs> see, that would be me. See, he literally has no debt. Okay. So I'm the one with, I don't have a ton of credit card debt. I'm credit card debt free, but I have like hefty student loans. Mm. And so, you know, he I'm the one that he should be side-eyeing. Like, another vacation? Hmm, really? Because uh, what about Sally Bay? She's not calling. But then do you pull the, I'm the budget Nista card. You can't <laughs> no. tell me nothing. No, you know, I always feel so bad because I'm always the one getting on him. He's like, I have no debt. I'm debt free. Right. Why are you getting on me? And then I have to remember, oh, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> so what's tip number three? Um, one of my tips, I kind of touched on it before, but it's the idea of being fair and being equitable. You don't want to, I don't think it's comfortable or like even fun to be in a relationship where it's like, we're going to split the bill down the middle at dinner and like do two credit cards and oh did you get the calamari oh but you had a glass of wine so you're gonna pay 17 i'm gonna pay 1350 no 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 i think you need to have like a sort of a game plan in place like are we gonna are we gonna trade off um date night paying Mm. for that are we going to have a joint credit card that we use for date night and then we have a certain limit on that i like that there's a couple of apps that i like where you can split if things get confusing if there's so many different expenses and you guys are going out you go on a lot of group dinners and things like that Mm -hmm. and you want to make sure things equitable, um, this is probably more important for people who are cohabitating because, mm-hmm. or especially if you don't have joint checking and jo- like if you're, if you're going the yours, mine and ours route where you have your own money and you want to make sure that things are fair, you can download some apps like Splitwise where you can share bills and then Avocado isn't necessarily avocado is a cool app it's not necessarily for finances but you can um you can share a calendar and keep track of each other and you can add a to-do list manager mm. and that to-do list can be you know oh remember it's your turn to pay this bill or okay. oh remember you oh so and so we have to plan for this uh, it's a nice like couples management it's kind of cute and kind of like dorky 
for I couples like to use. Avocado. But I have I have married friends who use it and they love it. Okay. Okay. So last and last but not least, this is my sort of like reality check tip, which is to prepare for the worst. Mm. It's not. It's possible that not every couple will make it. Yeah. And when you move in together and things start commingling and you're sharing expenses, it's it's it can be hard to sever those ties yeah. if you ever break up. So I recommend you can do this legally, like legit with a lawyer and getting it notarized. But there's something you can drop called the cohabitation agreement. It can be like I said, you can do it with a lawyer and pay like I don't know, see if they'll see if you know a lawyer friend will do it for like a hundred bucks or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you write down basically the agreement. You have this joint account. This person's in charge of these bills. This person's in charge of those bills. It's kind of like the prenup for people moving in together. Mm. And it's a new concept, relatively new concept. But it's if you remember that episode of Sex in the City where Carrie Bradshaw oh, yeah. and Aiden, I live for Aiden. I'm still mad she yeah. chose. I'm still mad she chose Big. I loved Aiden too. But I, I, mean, I know her and Big. That was just fairy tale. Oh no, it was not a fairy tale. That's I, another episode. <laughs> I hate Big. That was a that was a dysfunction junction relationship. <laughs> anyway, but the episode where Carrie and Aiden have moved in together, he's knocked out the wall in her apartment and he's built a an extension and like expanded her apartment and then they break up and she's sitting in a chair and he sends her a letter and she's all like cozied up in the chair ready to read this like beautiful heartfelt my heart has been broken letter and she opens it up and she's been served with papers that he's basically suing her for the apartment wow. or taking like I don't know if he sues her but basically the the bottom line is that she has to like either pay for the apartment from him mm. or get out and he's going to sell it and that's you know that's yeah, a constant Consequence of not being married and like not having any rights really, and he bought the place. So cohabitation agreement is something, and you know it can be just a document. Like like I said, my boyfriend and I every couple of months we'll sit down and, and have a check in, and I'll be like, "How are you doing? Mm-hmm. Do we need to rejig or how we're budgeting?" Mm-hmm. And you can adjust that document, spreadsheet, Google Doc basic, whatever you need, and just have a record that you both can see and feel a little bit more peace of mind about. And for if you're buying a home, it's especially important. And this is actually something that's happening more commonly, unmarried Mm -hmm. couples buying homes. And some attorneys that I've talked to have recommended doing this, like I said, a a prenup for your home. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, who's going to pay for it and what happens if we break Mm -hmm. up? Who's going to get what and, you know, that kind of stuff. Are both names going to be on the deed? It's messy stuff, but you'll be thankful if something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's it for brown tips. So we're back. B A C K. You're gonna sing. <laughs> yes. Okay. Just preparing myself. Yes. She's gonna sing every time, you guys. Yes. Every time. Every single time. So we're back, and we're back with brown brilliance, and I have. An amazing brown brilliance that I want to share today. So, Latissa E. Wallace, some of you might have seen her video. She is the state representative for Illinois, mm-hmm. and she was at the state house in Illinois, um, and she spoke so powerfully against, I guess there was a bill that they were proposing to cut um, child care for low-income families. Cut funding for like a public service program. Yeah, yeah. and so she made it very clear that she didn't say 
it was because of race, but it was very clear that they were doing so um, as a, just I guess as a result of them feeling that certain people did not deserve childcare. And the reason why they don't deserve childcare is because they made poor choices in having children. And she was like, first of all, one, it's not your place as a lawmaker to impose a moral judgment on your constituents. That's one. But how often do our elected leaders do such a thing? Exactly. Just that thing. And she said, and also, too, that their moral code is not necessarily true. She used herself as an example, which I thought was brilliant. She said that she herself needed child care assistance because she and her then-fiancé broke up. They had a child, broke up because of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And she had her master's at the time. And so she does not fit this mold that they have of just a woman who has all these children. It's very irresponsible, so we're not going to help you. And she's like, not every woman falls into that category. And even if she does, it doesn't mean that they, she still doesn't, they still don't deserve help. Um, something that she said that was really powerful to me in her speech, and if you have not seen it, please go to Brown Ambition, our Facebook page, Brown Ambition. We posted the video there. You're going to love it. If you're a Brown Ambition you know, follower and lover of Brown Ambition, you're going to love it. Um, what was really powerful, she said that if it was about the money, then they would vote to maintain this assistance for low-income families because for every dollar that you put into a program like this, the economy gets back $7. But she said it's obvious it's not about the money. Because why wouldn't somebody want to get back $7 for every dollar invested? And so I just want to just really go up for her. I'm like, she is my my BFF online right now. I sent her a friend request because I'm a Did stalker. You? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> be my friend. Right? I was like, Lisa, be my friend. Be my friend. Well, you know, she's done. I was looking at her like biography, and she's she was a mental health counselor. She's mm. done a lot of work. She works for a nonprofit that helps women in abusive relationships. Mm. And, God, this is why it's so important to have women of color in. Mm-hmm. In, uh, elected positions in whatever it's at the state level, local level, national level, federal, whatever, because they ha- put a voice to these issues yes. that white men and just men in general will not get yeah. sometimes. And you have to hear it from a woman's voice. There's studies that show that people are more empathetic of social issues such as childcare or, mm-hmm. or even abortion, things like that, or gay rights, for example, if they know someone exactly. who is going through this issue or is is part of this issue. Exactly. And the problem with having people that having a lack of diversity in elected positions is that they probably don't know people in exactly. positions. You you grow up and you're surrounded by constituents that agree with you and support you and uh, other elected officials who look like you. And you don't ever hear these other you know, stories, op- opposing points of view. And God, I just loved listening to her. And she was so calm yes. and so chill. But she was so powerful. You could tell that she was livid, mm-hmm. yet like just really passionate, like, well, before you vote, and she probably knew that they were already going to vote, so they voted basically the same way they were going to vote anyway, which is to get rid of this program. Right, yeah. You know, unfortunately. but And so she probably knew that, and the way she spoke, she you can kind of tell she knew that, but she wanted to make it very clear that she knew what they were doing, and she, basically, her speech was to hold up the mirror to say, shame on you. And it's not just happening in Illinois, mm-hmm. this, like, widespread cutting. Well, first of all, there's so little federal and national fund, state funding for child care, um, for working 
working mothers and working parents. Mm-hmm. There's some, but there's not like there. You, the United States does not have like a federal mandated childcare um, yeah. support policy like you see these Eastern European company mm-hmm. uh, countries that are like, I don't know Denmark, Sweden that yeah. give all this childcare. And the fact of the matter is that childcare is expensive. Like it is. So I have some stats here that in 1960, childcare made up just two percent of young parents' budgets. Today, it makes up nearly one fifth of a young person's yeah. budget. And you're talking about the average childcare in America costing nearly twelve thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. And that's not even for like the blockbuster childcare. Yeah, care. that's not the fancy. Like that's some of my like, friends who are like have kids, they're like, I don't even know. Like my best friend Drina, she just had a baby. He's Gabe is I'm the god mommy, and he's such such a cutie. He's mm-hmm. um Expensive about five, cutie. Yeah, about five months old. And she works from home, but she doesn't work from home because you can't with really a five-month-old. So her thing is twice a week, um, his grandmother watches him so she can get work done because they can't afford, you know. Because I was like, well, why don't you get, like, you know, help? She's like, well, how, you know? Right. How can we afford? We're a young couple. How can we afford child care as, as expensive as it is? So it's a real thing. And, you know, she and her boo make decent money. So it's not like they're like, oh, you know, like, no, she had a thriving business, but not being able to work like she used to. It's, it's just like a, it's like an extra mortgage or rent payment yeah. for some people. And the fact that there's not this support for having I mean, when you have to you, the tendency is like this, per, like Latissa was making her point. Representative Wallace was trying to make a point that people are so quick to discount these public yes. services because they have this idea that it's poor, greedy, brown yep. people, lazy, don't want to go to work. Yep. But no, it's working class people. Yeah. People. The fact of the matter, like she like she points out so eloquently in her speech, is that wages are falling for yes. regular average working Americans. And so many working Americans are relying on jobs that don't even pay them a living wage. She, she pointed out, which I thought was so powerful, that there were so many families with a mother and a father both yes. working and still not able to afford child care. So what are you really saying? I mean, we've seen graph after graph showing how minimum wage from state by state is not enough to support a family of three or four. Right. So then I don't get it. Like, you know, it's just like, oh, but then, oh, just go to college and get a degree and you wouldn't have to work at McDonald's. Oh, well, then the average college debt people graduate with is $30,000. It can cost, you know, upwards of $40,000 a year just to go to a state school. I mean, I could go on and on and on. There's just, the fact of the matter is that expenses are so high today in America and wages are not growing fast enough. And the government is supposed to be there to support people in, you know, times like this. And I, I hope that we'll see some legislation at state and, and federal levels that will um, support working families who need child care in the future. So we would just want to say good on you, Representative Wallace. Thank yes. you for taking a stand. Come be on the show. Yes, we would love to have you since you did not accept my friend request, which is totally Yet. fine. She might. <laughs> I'm in queue. She's playing hard I'm to get. I'm in queue. <laughs> uh, so that is the end of our episode for today. We hope that you enjoyed, and if you would like to share some brown brilliance with us, if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer via tips, where can they find us, Mandy? You can find us on Facebook. Our group's called Brown Ambition. You can find us, our website. We haven't talked about our website that much. We do have a website. In fact, you can find every episode along with links to the stories that we're talking Mm -hmm. about and photos and anything relevant on our website. The website is brownambitionpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, that's also our email address, yes. brownambitionpodcast at, at gmail.com. And Twitter at the BA Podcast. So hopefully we will tweet you, Facebook you, website you. See you on the interwebs. Yes, on the interwebs. <laughs> on the interwebs. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye.
The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.